You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, mom, photographer, teacher, and leadership committee member for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. Amazing how the summer is flying by, in spite of it being a different kind of summer. With many lighthouses closed because of the pandemic, we're already getting close to Labor Day. Summer's flying by very, very quickly, a little too quickly for my liking. I do, yeah. however, miss being at the lighthouse, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely making the best of summer, enjoying being in my garden. And this is episode 77 of Lighthearted, scheduled for release on August 24th. On August 24th, 1891, Thomas Edison patented the movie camera. On August 24th, 1932, Amelia Earhart became the first woman to fly across the United States nonstop, from Los Angeles to Newark, New Jersey. This August 24th is also the 60th birthday of Cal Ripken Jr., who set a Major League Baseball record by playing in 2,632 consecutive games for the Baltimore Orioles. He's once said, if you do a job, do it right, or there is no point. And speaking of doing a job very well for a long time, one of our two guests today is Lee Radzak, who is the longtime modern-day keeper at the Split Rock Light Station in Minnesota. And our other guest is his successor, Hayes Scriven. Michelle, please help me tell our listeners about Split Rock Light Station and our guests. Sure, Jeremy. Split Rock Lighthouse, one of the most picturesque lighthouses in the United States, is located on a 127-foot high cliff on the northwest shore of Lake Superior. The area was always treacherous to shipping, in part because of a magnetic aberration that causes compass deviations of more than two degrees. In late November 1905, a series of storms caused the loss or damage of 29 vessels as well as the loss of dozens of lives. In response to pressure from the local maritime community, Congress appropriated funds for a light station in early 1907. The site chosen was a cliff known as Stony Point. Strangely, the Lighthouse Board named the light station for the Split Rock River, which was three miles to the southwest. When work began in June 1909, all the materials had to be brought to the site by water. A derrick hauled the construction materials to the top of the cliff. A bivalve third-order Fresnel lens was installed, and the light went into service on August 1, 1910. For more than half a century, it helped guide the safe passage of freighters carrying ore mined from Minnesota's Iron Range. The lighthouse is an octagonal cream city brick tower on a concrete foundation with a structural steel framework. An office was attached to the north side of the tower by a short passageway. Three identical keeper's houses were built in a row to the north of the lighthouse, and each house had its own storage barn. A brick fog signal building was also constructed, housing duplicate diaphone fog signals and gas engines. The fog signal was so loud, it was said that it made horses skittish five miles away. The light station suffered a tragedy just two months after it began service. On Sunday, October 2nd, 1910, two assistant keepers left in a small boat on a mail run. 
The principal keeper headed out early the next morning to look for them and discovered their boat floating upside down. The two assistants were never found. The principal keeper was informed by his superiors in 1935 that Split Rock was considered a show station and that visitors should be allowed to see the lens and rotating mechanism at specified times that were posted at the station entrance. In 1938, almost 28,000 sightseers signed the station's guestbook, but the principal keeper estimated that probably three times that many actually visited. When the Coast Guard took over management of lighthouses from the Civilian Lighthouse Service in 1939, it publicized Split Rock as, I quote, probably the most visited lighthouse in the United States, end quote. When the station was converted to electric power in 1941, the brightness of the light was downgraded from 1.2 million candle power to 450,000. By the late 1960s, advances in other forms of navigation led the Coast Guard to deem the lighthouse obsolete and it was discontinued as an official aid. Ownership was transferred to the state of Minnesota in 1971. The Minnesota Historical Society administers the 25-acre historic site. Today, the light station is the centerpiece of Split Rock Lighthouse State Park operated by the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. The park is a 2,200-acre site that offers hiking, picnicking, and tent camping to visitors. The station has been restored to its early 1920s appearance, and the site is operated as a living museum. The visitor center was opened in 1986 and greatly expanded in 2003. The light station is one of the most popular tourist attractions in the state of Minnesota, with well over 150,000 visitors each year. Lee Radzak became the lighthouse site manager in November 1982 and moved with his wife Jane into one of the three keepers houses near the lighthouse. Not too long after that, a son and then a daughter were born. Lee Radzak served as a board member of the American Lighthouse Council. He was a 2013 recipient of the Association for Great Lakes Maritime Histories Award for Historic Preservation, a 2014 recipient of Lake Superior Magazine's Achievement Award for significantly contributing to the well-being of Lake Superior and its communities, a 2016 recipient of the F. Ross Holland Distinguished Service Award from the American Lighthouse Council, and a 2018 recipient of the Alliance of Local History Museums Lifetime Achievement Award. When Lee Radzak retired, an extensive search for a new site manager led to the hiring of Hayes Scriven, who moved to the site with his wife Jenny and their two children in late 2019. Hayes, a Minnesota native, considers himself a history geek and says his goal is to make every guest at Split Rock Light Station feel the magic of Lake Superior's North Shore. In late July, I got together with Lee Radzak and Hayes Scriven via Zoom for a discussion of life at one of the most iconic light stations in the country. And let's listen to that conversation now. I am here with Lee Radzak and Hayes Scriven. Actually, we're getting together via Zoom this morning. And uh, thank you guys so much for, for being with me today. Yeah, thanks to be here. And uh, this is going to be fun. We got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, Lee, of course, you've had a you had a long career at the Split Rock Lighthouse and have recently retired. And Hayes is the new new uh, kid on the block, the new guy in charge at the the Split Rock Lighthouse. Uh, so, Lee, I'd like to start uh, with a question for you. Uh, 
and we, I want to go back to the beginning of your career. I understand you actually started your career as an archaeologist with the Minnesota Historical Society. So what exactly led you to Split Rock Lighthouse? Well, I, it's funny to go from uh, prehistoric archaeology to uh, maritime history. Uh, it was kind of a leap, but not that much. Uh, both of the jobs were working for the Minnesota Historical Society, uh, which was a great, great employer, great people to work for. And um, it was funny, I got married uh, a couple months before the job at Split Rock came up, and we were looking for what we wanted to do. And it was either uh, go uh, west to Montana and Wyoming and do archaeology out that way or take the job at Split Rock or at least apply for the job at Split Rock. And um, it's, uh, it was a transition, but not, not that bad. It was Minnesota history was something I knew well, and uh, Lake Superior is part of that. So uh, it fit well. I'm just curious, were, were lighthouses much on your radar before you took the position? Not at all. I'd been to Split Rock once, I think, when I was uh, in high school uh, with a, on a family trip to the North Shore. Other than that, lighthouses, uh, I, I had to do a quick study on everything to do with lighthouses and maritime history and very interesting and very, uh, once I got, got into it, the more I got into it, the more interesting it came. So, Hayes, you were the executive director of the Bong uh, Veterans Historical Center in Superior, Wisconsin. It looks like an extremely interesting military museum. What led you to go for the job at the Lighthouse? Yeah, uh, before I was at the Bong Center, I was the director at the Northfield Historical Society in southern Minnesota. And I'm originally from Minnesota, and we, we've always taken trips up the North Shore, and I've always passed Split Rock a bagillion times, and we've stopped, you know, half a bagillion times to, to hike the trails in the park or go up and see the lighthouse. And so I was always aware of it, that it was there, and the status of the, the site, you know, within the state. And it was just one of those things that when my wife and I moved from southern Minnesota to, to Two Harbors, we, we did it out of a love of northern Minnesota and wanting to be closer to a place that we really enjoyed and, and connected with us. I got to know Lee through actually trivia and um, heard that he was retiring. And it was like, you know, I don't think I'm qualified for the job. I'll just throw my hat in the ring because it's, it's split rock. Like it's one of the best places in Minnesota and see what happens. And it, you know, the, the site's always had a, a, a little special place in my heart and it's just one of those things that I just couldn't pass up to try and see what happened. And lo and behold, a few months later, I, I'm sitting here. So I understand. Well, you just uh, kind of said, uh, kind of partly answered my next question. The lighthouse has some personal meaning for you, but can you expand on, on that maybe a little bit? Yeah. So I actually had proposed to my wife up on Day Hill, which is one of the hikes in the state park overlooking the lighthouse it was the lighthouse and the lake that had a, has a special connection with us. And just, just the whole North shore as a whole has a, has a really special place in, in, in our beliefs and our, in our life. And we go to the boundary waters every year. We've, we've done that for many years, exploring the North, North shore, Northern Minnesota is just really part of who we are. And after I got the job, I had actually found out from my parents that uh, my mom showed me this picture and it was me as a two-year-old standing at the base of the lighthouse in 1985. <laughs> and, and Lee 
you know, so nicely pointed out that he probably came up and talked to me. <laughs> <laughs> and you remember that very well, right? Hank? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> but the, the White House has had just kind of a, a strange connection for me. And I know it does for everybody that seems to come up here and visit that there's some connection with the lighthouse and the lake that keeps drawing people back. And for me, it's just a, it's, it seems to be this amazing culmination of all the things that we believe in and want to believe in and, just being here now is just a huge blessing. And remind me, Hayes, when exactly did you move in there? Yep. So I started on November 1st. First day on site was November 10th, which is an important day for a lot of things. And um, then we moved in on January, uh, actually on my son's birthday on January 23rd, because uh-huh. he wanted to wake up at the lighthouse on his birthday. So we did that. Okay. And uh, in an article I read recently, it described uh, you waking up in the house for the first time. And uh, can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, that was, a, that was one of those magical moments that I know Lee's probably had a ton of times. But we were going to bed that first night and my wife was pulling the shades. I said, I want to wake up and look at the lake. And so we left the shades open and I woke up and I literally sat up in bed and I saw this eagle, bald eagle flying at the house. And I was like, oh my gosh, like and it kept getting bigger and bigger. And then it flew right over the top of the house. And it was just like one of those things, like, I can't, I can't believe that just happened. And I can't believe I just woke up here to see that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's just, it's been a fun ride for sure so far. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'll bet you didn't actually say, oh my gosh, when that happened. (laughs) (laughs) No, my wife doesn't like it when I cuss in the morning, so I I probably said it in my head. Okay, but again, (laughs) uh, it's a G-rated podcast, so we should probably leave that alone. (laughs) Hayes, uh, did you come into the job thinking about what big shoes you had to fill, uh, considering that you're coming in after someone who was there for uh, almost four decades and has a national reputation? In the yeah, it, still, it, it, it still scares the living bejeebas out of me and having having lee in this uh, zoom call is making me nervous <laughs> <laughs> it, it's been one of those things that in my professional career up until this point i'd always told myself that i never wanted to to step into a job from somebody that had been there for 10 years just because they had such big shoes to fill and the the expectations would be so high but this was an opportunity that i just i couldn't pass up and you know, knowing what Lee did at the site and, and how the staff works now and, and what the reputation of the site is, is very daunting. And it and it's driving me and the rest of the staff now to to continue that excellence and, and be, you know, the best site in the state of Minnesota and the upper Midwest that we can be. And so I want to, you know, thank Lee for all of that work that he's done to, to set the expectation because there is a huge expectation for us. And it, it's been something that drives everybody here to to do their best work. So, so Lee, what was your advice for Hayes when he took the job? <laughs> well, it was it's kind of tough because you know he came in right before the pandemic hit, and so we really haven't been able to get together at the site and walk through it and talk about things the way we normally would have. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember, and it's funny because he started. Uh, technically on November 1st, and that's the date I started. I started on November 1st of 1982. And when I came in, it was, there were still, uh, the screens were still on the windows in the house. And so I was up there in a snowstorm putting storms on. So I knew Hayes was coming into the kind of a rough, rough time if the site wasn't prepared. 
I remember telling him where to put the mouse traps to catch the mice mm-hmm. and make sure the heat doesn't go out so that the cast iron radiators don't freeze. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, Hayes, what did we talk about? We haven't had a chance to meet on too much stuff. Not not too much. The the one other thing that you did say was just run it like your own business. You know, you said run it, run it like your own business. And and I think I said something smart like, well, I've been doing that for the last five, 15 years anyway. <laughs> <So>. There you <laughs> go. Well, that, that was about the only thing, and you're right. We haven't had much time to get together. We, you, you and the family came up uh, a little bit in right when the snow started to fall, and we chatted for a little bit, but we just haven't had the time to connect, and it's been really crazy. And I, I do really look forward to that time when you and I can walk around. <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> and you know, and the, the benefit is, too, is that that staff at Split Rock, the, every, the interpreters and uh, visitor services and maintenance, everybody's fantastic and they were fantastic when I was there and I'm sure that they're Mm -hmm. you know they're carrying through the knowledge that they have and that was I didn't have that when I started because I was the only one here except in the summer we'd have six people working six interpreters and dealing with the 200,000 people so it was kind of I'm glad that you've got the great people you have there that have been there for a few years and they can follow through with some of that information. Yeah, it, it's made it's made the transition a lot better to have that continuity because you you built a really good core staff that that's continued through and has the knowledge base because the the core staff's been here for a long time, and and they've been able to and they've been very willing to help and educate me on on the site and and how things have been and a lot of that's continued through. But with the pandemic, we've had to flip a lot. <laughs> a lot on its side right now so but it, it's all going through and the, the staff is just great i should just mention we're actually speaking on july 25th saturday july 25th people are going to be hearing this a little bit later in august so as you just mentioned hayes you uh, came in at a very unusual time unique time with the pandemic uh, the opening of the lighthouse was delayed it just actually opened a week ago right mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. things are operating very differently uh, to say the least. How's that going at this point? Yeah, we we got two weeks of a normal season in March, and then we were shut down right after that. And um, we had immediately kind of gone to this mode of how can we reopen the site? Because we knew the site was going to have to open to help the, the whole Minnesota Historical Society out, and we knew people were going to want to be up here. And so we went through probably 25-ish like permutations of how we could do the site. And we came up with this self-guided tour model that is pretty radical from the way it had been. And we're also, the inside of the visitor center is closed. So the exhibits are shut down. The movie's not showing. Um, The lighthouse is closed. You know, people can't go inside the lighthouse. People can't go inside the keeper's house. Um, but we've got guides stationed throughout the site. We've got some signage up that helps educate the people um, while, while they walk around and also enforcing social distancing too, because uh, unintended consequences of the signs are people actually stopping and reading them, which has been interesting <laughs> to see. And it, it does spread the crowd out, but it's been going so well. People have been uh, very considerate. It's been a very, a very easy transition. It was one of those times leading up to when we opened like very nervous, like we've, we've had this on paper. A lot of people have looked at it. 
is it actually going to happen? And we, we actually technically opened on July 15th, but we did a soft opening two days before for the 13th and 14th. And we tested the system, which was great because we were able to modify the system and make minor tweaks between the 13th and the 15th. So when we had, you know, we knew we were going to have 800 people on the 15th, we were able to cycle through it really, really fast and made, made the proper adjustments. So it, it's been going really well today. Like you said, is the 25th. It's also the first day in Minnesota that masks are mandatory in indoor facilities. And so we have a new wrinkle in enforcing that. And it's also for if they're standing outside in a line to go into a building. So the staff has been trained on that and that'll be a new wrinkle, but it, it's been going really well. People have been, the feedback we're getting from the crowd is that they're disappointed they can't go in the lighthouse, but they know why and they seem to be okay with that. So it, all in all, it's been going really well. Oh, that's good to hear. Lee, I want to uh, switch back to you and go back uh, in, in time to your, your years at the lighthouse. Your two children were born after you and your wife moved to the lighthouse, right? So how did your kids like life at the lighthouse? Well, they, you know, when they were young and they were born a couple of years after we moved here, um, or moved to Split Rock, still thinking of it as here, I guess a year later, it's all they knew uh, as young kids. You know, school was uh, nine miles away in Silver Bay, Minnesota. So they pretty much grew up in a rural area at the lighthouse um, with no nearby neighbors. But for them, it was all they knew. So uh, they didn't think it was anything unusual. They got used to the all of the people going by, walking by the house, going up to the lighthouse. And we, you know, had to give them some special training about uh, you can't go near the cliff and um, don't talk to people if they're, you know, talking to you. It's, it's such a dichotomy that Split Rock is that it's such a beautiful, isolated spot sometimes in the winter, at night. But during the tourist season, it's just the opposite. It's the busiest place you could imagine with up to 2,000 people a day coming through there. And so they had to get used to that and a little bit of training on that. But as they grew older and into their teens and they realized what a special spot it was to live, our son ended up working uh, in the state park for DNR and our daughter ended up uh, majoring in environmental studies. And I think that was because of growing up at a lighthouse on the edge of Lake Superior in the middle of the state park. It was pretty special to him. Hayes, our son, got uh, proposed to his wife at the lighthouse too uh, a few years back, and um, now they're married and living in Indiana, so he's landlocked down there. Yeah, they, uh, they're both in their mid-30s now, and it's always going to be with them. It's something that um, you can't take away from them. I'll bet there's been a lot of proposals and weddings at the lighthouse over the years. How many of those did you see in your years there, Lee? You probably have no idea. Oh, a lot. It happened so often that um, Gloria, the, the museum store manager, made up a postcard with a picture of the lighthouse, and it said something like, we got engaged at Split Rock. And every time we heard about that, we'd congratulate them and give them a postcard so they'd have a <laughs> memory of that. And... Um, yeah, proposals and, and weddings. And we had, uh, for a while, we allowed weddings at the lighthouse. And that became so problematic that we had to cut it out. And um, I don't know, Hayes, how are you going to deal with that in the future? But uh, No wedding. 
It's, oh, okay. uh, it's just <laughs> it's just one more one more step into chaotic yeah. behavior there. We've had we've had three proposals in ten days, so it's huh. the first day we opened, and then one in the middle, and then just one a day and a half ago. So wow. So Hayes, you also have two children, right? Uh, so how are your wife and kids liking it there so far? They're 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 just in their element. They they love the outdoors and to have the state park surrounding us and all the acreage is is great. Uh, like Lee's kids, we've had to give them some training on uh, you know when to engage with people and and when not to. And also, my my son is quite an adventurer. And the first few weeks we were here, we kept telling him like we had to tell him like you can go out and like explore and and do stuff and. <laughs> he told me he came back one day and he goes, yeah, dad, I finally went out and walked the trail and I, I walked down to the construction site and I was like, which construction site? Cause there's one three miles away. Like how, how far did you go? <laughs> and we found out later he didn't walk actually that far, but it was far enough where we had to tell him, okay, like maybe just stay within the rough area and, you know, stay away from the cliff and, also I've been trying to remind my children that they have to pick up their, their, their bikes and everything all the time. You don't want them leaving them out in the yard and just being respectful to the, the visitors that they're around. My, my daughter, who's 12, she, she keeps telling me every time I come home for lunch, I have a radio that we, that we wear all the time. And my daughter's like, I want a vest and I want a radio and I'll be a tour guide for you. And I'm like, well, let me get you through training and we'll see how it works. <laughs> ah, well, that's neat. That's really neat that she wants to do that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, Lee, when again going back to when you first uh, took the job, did you have any inkling that you it would become your your career for anywhere near as long as it did? Of course not. We, I, yeah. when Jane and I took I took the job and we moved there. We t- talked it over and we said, well, let's give it three years and see how it goes. And three years came along, and by then the kids were had arrived. And we said, well, let's give it five years and see how that goes. And by then it, it felt like home and it was a great job, a fantastic job because there's, there's so much variety in it and you're working with people who the visitors are on vacation. So they're having a good time. The staff loves working at the lighthouse. So they're very committed. And my boss uh, was 200 miles away in St. Paul. So it was kind of a nice, uh, nice separation there. It kind of like uh, the old lighthouse keepers at Split Rock. Their boss was in Cleveland at the district headquarters about 500 miles away. So yeah, it's a job where I was kind of on my own and we never dreamed that we'd be there as long as we were, but it felt like a good place to set down some roots and stick with it. And and it really was. I'm real happy to do it, have done it. So I think you're the longest serving modern day keeper, but I think Don Terrace at Gross Point Lighthouse, if he stays a little longer, is gonna gonna pass you in terms of of years. He's he's catching up. (laughs) Don and I have talked about that, and uh, he kind of needles me for giving up too early, Um, and he's gonna. He's already probably surpassed me because he was started like a year after I did. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. And the other thing is that. He's in Evanston, Illinois at Gross Point Lighthouse, and that's the only other lighthouse on the Great Lakes that's a National Historic Landmark. And he got that 
rating before I did at Split Rock. So he, I kind of needle him that uh, now he's not the only one on the Great Lakes. So huh. Don and I have had fun over the years going back and forth. On that. I spent a few days around there last November and uh, got to meet Don and also interviewed him for this, this podcast. So Lee, can you describe what a typical day at the light station was like for you? What were some of the the typical chores, maintenance, and other stuff you did on a regular basis? Well, well, as, as Hayes knows, uh, there really isn't a typical day. And it's it's more cyclical than anything. Winters are so much different than summers. And a lot of the job, it, it amazed me over the years, and what made it interesting was a lot of the job did kind of mirror what the light keepers did. Um, not so much in that you're staying up all night and, and keeping the light going, but there's the maintenance and the upkeep and uh, knowing how the equipment works. And they didn't have to know the history the way we do, but they uh, a lot of the job reflected that, it still does. There's more, of course, administration now. There's a lot of the museum arts and aspects of it and just uh, administering the site that has grown over the years. Uh, and a lot of the, I guess a, a typical summer day would be uh, getting up about sunrise, uh, walking through the parking lot, making sure nobody spent the night there, unlocking the gates. Usually we close the gates because there are people coming in. Uh, and then uh, starting the day with morning meetings with the staff and, and getting ready for opening up uh, at 9 a.m. And it'd be a... Uh, or at 10 a.m. and then be a, a full day of uh, when you got that many visitors coming and that many staff on. Every day we had about 14 interpreters on and a summer staff of about 35 people at the historic sites. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of just managing that had to be done, and but the maintenance and the, the preservation. And the thing I loved the most and didn't get enough time to do was research and um, working on. Um, the history. I really loved the times that I could, uh, when I started in the 80s and 90s, there were still enough of the sons and daughters of the original light keepers around the lighthouse service keepers. And they were in their 80s and 90s by then. And they'd come back to Split Rock or I'd go visit them where they lived in Duluth or elsewhere. And getting to talk firsthand with them and to do uh, oral histories with them was wonderful, that part of the job. And it just didn't happen as much as I liked it to. Hayes, I know you haven't been there long yet, but I wonder if you see the routine. Well, obviously the routine has changed with the pandemic (laughs) lately. It's totally different. But uh, I'm just wondering how going forward, if there are particular ways you see things changing. Well, in in the few months that we've been here, it's been a lot like Lee said. You know, in in the winter, it's, it's different than the summer. In the winter, I, you know, Lee did this too. We do some snow removal, you know, carrying of the, the historic property. Um, actually, Lee, on the 30th, we're going to clean the lens with Ed and, and everybody. And that'll be my first time going through that process and learning learning how to do that. Um, but like he said, it's it's walking the grounds, making sure everything's safe, because it's not only the visitors, but as, as Lee's known, there's bears around and other varmint that are getting into the property. So you're doing a lot of security checks. You're, you're just kind of watching over things. In the summer, it, I don't see the the routine changing a ton because the the morning meeting setup works, which they're having right now, getting ready for the day, going through opening everything up, 
um, and managing the staff is, is, is a big deal. Right now, we don't have uh, 14 interpreters on staff. We've got five every day. And so there's, there's more that, that I'm doing on site, processing the people through it and getting to interact with them. I, I do, like Lee said, the, the, one of the things that I've always missed in, a, in an administrative job is I do miss the research side of it. And I'm, I'm hoping, and I know over the time, I'll be able to, to do the research and become half as knowledgeable as Lee is on the site. But it, it's one of those things that I, I hope I get at some point to, to be able to do that. And, but the, the routine, it is interesting how much it does mirror the, the original keepers and how you're just maintaining the site and caring for it. it, it, it ha- that hasn't changed and I, I don't see it will because as long as you're here, you're, you're caring for the site. You have to make sure it's running properly and, and that's what we're here to do. Lee, correct me if I'm wrong, but you used to sometimes wear the uh, like a lighthouse service uniform, a keeper's uniform, and, and greet people that way. When I was younger and fit into the uniform better, I would uh, put it on uh, to do a lot of times to do talks uh, away from the historic site and sometimes to lead tours. And as we, as the site developed and the interpretive program developed, we decided to do costume interpretation at the site, which the fun part was researching the lighthouse service uniforms for the 1920s to 30 period, and then developing those uniforms so that we have had the interpreters wearing the uniforms every day on site. And for a few years, we did living history. So they, they actually portrayed characters. That became pretty cumbersome with the high visitation level there. So uh, now it's just costume interpretation. It was when I left and people love to see that uniform, either if I was wearing it or uh, if the staff, the, the, the men on, on staff, the male interpreters would wear them and the women would wear the, uh, the typical clothing of that the wives of the keepers would wear and show the tasks uh, that they were doing. But yeah, that uniform, it's a really neat uniform, and of course, there's always the people that say, well, who are you, a railroad conductor or a fireman? And, uh, <laughs> then it's a good opportunity to explain, no, this is the U.S. Lighthouse Service, and this no longer exists. And Yeah, it was, it was a fun thing to do. And then in the later years, I didn't do it as much. It just it wasn't time. Uh, hey, is there any particular plans for you to put the uniform on? Did you inherit the actual uniform or, or no? I haven't, I haven't earned my cap yet, so <laughs> I'm still in training. No, I, 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 I've been told that I have to, and at some point I, I know I'll, I'll probably put it on. But this year with, with the pandemic, we, we have suspended the, the costume interpreting just because we want the staff to feel comfortable in what they're doing. And, but we do plan on bringing back at least the lighthouse keepers because what's a lighthouse without a lighthouse keeper on, on site? You know, it, it's one of those things that people kind of connect with. And I, I think that'll always, always be around. Makes sense to me. So Lee, you obviously saw a lot of changes over the years, including the creation of a visitor center and the visitor center was later expanded. What are some of the things, some of the accomplishments that especially stand out in your mind from your stay there? First off, I think I, a big part of it is the growth of the interpretive program at the site that um, it, changed so much uh, after that visitor center was built in 1986 and we expanded to have more room to, to do interpretation and to, to get the audio, audio visual, the movies and the, the exhibits and everything else in that building. 
then we could open up the historic buildings for other things. And what I was really, uh, I guess, and proud of and enjoyed doing was uh, there were four major preservation projects in my years there on the, on the 11 historic buildings and um, researching and making sure that that was done right to the Secretary of the Interior Standards uh, for Rehabilitation. Split Rock was nominated to the National Register of Historic Places in 1969, long, in fact, right after it was decommissioned. But when I was there, um, I worked on and we finally got National Historic Landmark designation. And that was a big process. And uh, that was one goal that I had always had in my career to try and do that. Another thing was to uh, develop a cultural landscape report for the whole historic site. And that was a huge process uh, that was completed in 2016. And you have to do that because if you want to do any kind of accessibility changes or things like that to the historic site, you want to make sure that it's it's done according to a landscape plan and to a cultural resource plan. So that was a big thing. But uh, I think seeing the, the changes to the site over all those years, especially in the 80s and 90s, where we went from just me and my wife being there and doing everything in the winter that needed to be done, and then having such a small staff and having to help out with the interpretation and everything else in the early days, to how it grew after the visitor center was built and the funding increased and we were able to do so many more things. And um, that's what made it such an interesting job as it changed so much over time. And now this pandemic is kind of a kick in the pants for Hayes because it's going backwards now for him and he's got to deal with that. That'll turn around. So I, I'd like to talk a, a little bit about the lens in the lighthouse, a third order Fresnel lens uh, still in place, but deactivated as an aid to navigation in 1969. As to the best of my knowledge, it's the only Fresnel lens in the United States that still rotates on a mercury float. And uh, I have a two-part question. What kind of maintenance is done on that lens and rotating mechanism uh, to keep it in, in good working order? And the second part of that question is, is there any danger from the mercury? Hayes, you're looking at me like you want me to answer this. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're, you're answering this, Lee. You've done this longer than I have, so. Uh, I'll start out. We're very fortunate that when the Coast Guard decommissioned the site and walked away from it in 1969, they deeded it over to the state of Minnesota. But the weird thing is, is that unlike most lighthouses, they left the whole lens assembly and uh, working apparatus in place in the tower. So we got permission from them. We asked if it's okay to run it for special observances or events. And they, they answered back and said, yeah, as long as you don't run it on a regular basis, because if you did that, you'd have to have it listed as a private aid to navigation. And then we'd have to be up every night winding the weights because it's the original pulley and weight system and it floats on the mercury bearing. There's actually about six quarts of mercury in the float right below the third order lens. Over the years I was there, I was involved and we did four lens assessments um, and we brought in lampists, uh, Joe Cocking and Nick Johnson and, and Jim Woodward. Uh, they were some of the guys at different times that looked at the lens and assessed it. And we actually, in 2009, before the centennial for the lighthouse, we opened up the, the float assembly, drained out the mercury, all hazmatted up and cleaned out that whole thing. They uh, inspected the bearings. Um, and made sure everything was working right uh, and put it back together. And so it's, it does work. Everything except the thousand watt light bulb 
which would have been a kerosene lamp uh, in 2010. Uh, everything else works the way it would have in its active years that uh, our interpreters will go up during the day and they would have wound the weights every day and kept it rotating at least without the light being lit. So it does work and uh, we still keep it working there, kept it working every day. Sorry, Hayes, I keep going into the present instead of the past. Um, but it, it it's amazing to see that thing work and to have that working. The mercury, as far as uh, being a hazard, we went through a lot of steps with the Minnesota Department of Health, PCA, to make sure we were protecting everybody. We did, we actually got a, a it's called a Lumex uh, monitor, and it apparently came from the Russian Navy who used it on submarines. It was a sniffer that sniffed for mercury vapors, and we went through everything in the lighthouse and, and around the building and made sure that there aren't any fumes or uh, off-gassing from the lens. And there's only one little spot between the float in the lens and um, the outside bowl, and it's a very thin spot where the uh, when you pour the mercury in and that, that little eighth of an inch, quarter inch is exposed to the air. And so what we did from research was we poured in mineral oil on top of that to seal that from being exposed to the air uh, so it wouldn't uh, evaporate in the tower. Uh, there was uh, historic research uh, from the early keepers that every once in a while, every so many years, they'd have to add a pint of mercury because it would evaporate. So uh, that hasn't been an issue, and it was something that the protection of that lens assembly was always so important. The protection of the site, I think, is the biggest, most important thing, more than the interpretation or anything. The preservation and protection site was always foremost in, in my mind being there, and, and it'd get you up in the middle of the night when you heard voices out on site, see lights flashing or people wandering around or shooting off fireworks or whatever, you're up in a minute checking that stuff out but um yeah the 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 lens is really the crown jewel of the site and the, the site is the crown jewel of the surrounding state park and it's great to have it there and it makes it so much different to be able to turn that light on and yeah. i see hayes does fantastic photographs with the light on still <laughs> great photographer so it's nice to still see that yeah uh, people aren't seeing this in the podcast, but uh, we're talking via Zoom and Hayes has, has shown me a couple of night sky photos uh, of the lighthouse behind him. And you, you took those yourself, Hayes, huh? I did, yeah. It, it's yeah. been a, a hobby that I've been learning over the last two to three months. I, I told my wife I wanted to learn something new during the pandemic and apparently it's astrophotography and it's wow. going to become quite an expensive hobby, I fear. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's pretty amazing that you've just started. Those are really incredible photos. Are, are do you, have you putting them online on your uh, on Facebook or somewhere? Or? Yeah, they're on my they're on my Facebook page and my my Instagram page that I have, and we we've been using some of them as PR shots on the main SRL page as well, so people can view them that way and just take in the the beauty. And, and Lee, I heard you talk about this too about how the night sky is just alive out here, and it. It truly is. I when I when I grew up, I was in southern Minnesota in a place far away from you know natural light or unnatural light, and it, it was glorious to see the sky there. And now to come back up here and have this just pitch black area around it to see the stuff again, it, it it's really a an amazing place to see the the stars. And did some comet shots with Neowise the last few days, and it's it's been really cool. 
tell me, and I guess uh, we can start with Lee on this, uh, about the commemoration that's held every November uh, for the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. That's something, I guess I started really informally on the 10th anniversary of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, which would have been 1985. I'd only been at the lighthouse for three years by then. And um, I just turned the beacon on, uh, thought it'd be nice to commemorate that and climbed up in the tower and November 10th can be kind of dicey weather on the North shore. And, but uh, I started and a few of the neighbors saw it and they thought it was kind of cool. And um, so I did it the next year in 1986 for the 11th anniversary. And a few people showed up, a few neighbors or people driving by on the highway from a half mile away. And then after a few years, the, the visitor center was built by then. So we could have a place for people to warm up. And we thought, well, let's keep doing this. And then we got to the point where well, let's open up the lighthouse and let people go inside and actually see the beacon lit from the inside. Cause that's what really brings it to life and makes you understand what a lighthouse is all about. If you can see that, that Fresnel lens close up and see it swinging across the horizon. So it just kept growing and we kept doing it uh, every, it was always on November 10th. We decided we're always going to do it on November 10th, no matter what day of the week it is. And some years there'd be a thousand people would show up uh, coming from all over the country. Even if it was on a Tuesday night, we might get 300 people show up. Uh, It was just amazing that how that event took off and Boy, Hayes, I don't know if you could quit doing that now if you wanted to, because it's uh, it's got legs of its own. No, we're we're that's that's a very important thing to continue doing, and and I did get confirmation yesterday or not yesterday, but a few weeks ago from from my bosses that the event's still going to happen this year, even if it's a virtual event that we can't have people on site, but we'll do it virtually. We'll stream it online so people can see it and we'll, we'll make that decision as we get a little bit closer but that the event has so much meaning to people and it, it's a it's a very important event and educational event for people to 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 come to and remember what 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 this is all about lee i have to ask you this uh I'm, there's i'm sure there's people listening to this this podcast who've known you over the years a lot of people in the the lighthouse world at various lighthouses listen and uh, they're probably wondering what what are you up to these days uh, since you've retired um well it's a weird transition first first of all retiring and moving away from the north shore and away from lake superior and living now we're living kind of in lake and corn country in the center of minnesota which is great it's it's a wonderful place to be but with the pandemic and that, we, Jane and I thought we'd be able to travel more and do a few more things, but we're, we're not getting out as much as we wanted. So over the winter, uh, the Minnesota Historical Society Press had asked when I retired if I'd be interested in writing about living at the lighthouse. So I thought, yeah, that's a good way to spend the winter. And so they want to publish a book. And the working title of it for now is... Um, what is the view from Split Rock, a lighthouse keeper's life. And it's going to talk, I wrote about the 36 and a half years of being there and some of the things that Hayes and I have been talking about and what it's, what it was like to, to spend a life there. So that's, uh, that's to be published in May, next May. So wow, uh, I'm making sure a lot of the photographs I took over the years are, are in the book and and 
some educational things, some sidebars about how the lens works and that kind of thing, but also remembrances of what it was like to live there. And um, yeah, we'll see how that goes, but it's an interesting process to dredge all those years up again and think about them and talk about them and uh, put it all together. So well, that's and, fantastic. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's been keeping me pretty busy. Yeah. Well, put me down for a signed copy, please. <laughs> Will do. Yeah. And uh, who's going to play you in the movie? <laughs> uh, what did somebody say? Maybe uh, a young William Hurt. And I, I don't see it, but <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what do you think? Hayes, Brad Pitt, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I think that would well, work for you. <laughs> Anthony Fauci wanted Brad Pitt to play him, and he actually did it Saturday <laughs> right, Night Live, right? So Brad Pitt's pretty versatile. He can play you, too. Sure. Yeah, he could uh, live at a lighthouse. Yeah, yeah, he'd probably like that. So, uh, or maybe uh, Willem Dafoe, he's played a lighthouse keeper. Yes, there you go. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, crazy lighthouse keeper. Yeah. Uh, so, Hayes, uh, do you have any plans for new programs, things you want, might want to implement? I know, again, the things are kind of crazy right now with the pandemic but yeah. uh, look, looking past that anything any plans well the the good thing with the with the pandemic is that it's it's allowing us to kind of because because we we've had to to flip everything on its side it, it's allowing us time to evaluate the way we're doing things now and then looking at moving forward how we can build off of it and bring back the stuff that had been working really well and so i i think come mid-August into October, we're going to be really looking at the way the program's running now and then looking at how we can add stuff back on to it. And then also like, and I told this to Lee, I said, you know, I'm going to enhance a lot of stuff and bring in a bunch of my crazy thoughts because I, I live out in crazy world um, <laughs> where I, no idea is stupid until I say it is. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think, I think what we're going to do is we're going to look at, we've already looked at some mini pop-up programs for the interpreters to do while they're on site. So we would have like a base tour and then like a 20 minute presentation where they could talk about some other aspect of the site or history around the site. Um, and then last night uh, I was talking with my, my boss about maybe doing some expanded specialty tours if we can get, you know, staff back normal, normal sized and we're, we're actually partnering with one of the local kayak companies to, they're going to start, they've already been offering kayak tours of Split Rock. And so we're going to help promote that and, and partner with them on, you know, you take a kayak tour, you can buy an admission to the site at a reduced price or full rate and come up and tour it after you've seen it from below. So we're, we're looking at kind of those experiential type things that a lot of the public seems to be wanting this, you know, now and, once the pandemic is gone or we're able to have a normal rotation again, we'll, we'll probably start to implement some of those. And immediately we're looking at come October to probably have some, some normalcy back. We hope to open the tower later this, this fall again, um, but it'll be a new experience and very different than it was, but that's all dependent on what happens with the pandemic. So we'll have some new stuff coming up. Yeah. Well, those ideas, don't sound that crazy to me. They sound, sound really good. So good luck with all those. Uh, so this is a question for both of you. And uh, I can edit this out if we have to, but uh, I'll start, start with Lee. What is the worst thing or things, uh, what was the worst thing or things about life at Split Rock Light Station for you? Hmm. 
<laughs> well, um, I know this might, I, and then, I don't know if I'm uh, touching on dangerous political ground for you as far <laughs> as the state of Minnesota or anything like that, but. Uh, well, um, no, because I think my bosses and everybody knew uh, what a challenge it was, parts of the job. And I think I, I always held that somebody should always live at the lighthouse, the site, and it should be the site manager, both for security and for the interpretive purposes of having a living body, at least in one of the houses, 24-7. But that 24-7 aspect of the job, sorry, Hayes, but it wears you down over time. And, uh, you know, that it's, it's such a busy place in the summer that by October, November, after the Edmund Fitzgerald event, the whole staff is ready to decompress. And um, I, I think that was the, probably the hardest part of the job is seeing some of the zany behavior of people, some of the people that come. Most people are great and fantastic and having a good time. But when you have to deal with the few nutcases that uh, come and go and, and that aspect of it. And as uh, I think Hayes finding out that drones have become the bane of historic sites everywhere in the country that uh, you're trying to give a, a tour out on the grounds and you've got a drone coming in and hovering 20 feet over your head and making that obnoxious noise. So some of those aspects of just dealing with the negative aspect of so much traffic all the time and always being a, having to be on guard and protecting the place. I felt great actually retiring and Jane and I both said nothing happened on our watch that was major that couldn't be fixed. So we got out of there pretty good and Hayes, I'm glad to have you there. <laughs> uh, people are supposed to get permission to fly a drone there, right? Absolutely. You know, they, they never do. So Right, right. That's that way most. Well, you can fly them from three or four miles away now, and uh, you never know where they're launching them from. So it's really hard to track them. Hayes, do you want to take that question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's really what Lee said. It, it's the twenty-four-seven, and you know, I, I knew coming into it that it, it was going to encompass my life, and it's going to change the way I live and and who I am, and. The, the thing that I've noticed and, and Lee touched on it was that even when you're off and you're sitting in your yard having a fire and a barbecue and it's after hours and there's not supposed to be people around, you see that light walk down the trail and you're like, what are they doing? You know, and you can't, you can't let it go. And it, it's been a change for me because I, I used to not be like that. And it's, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm able to adapt to it and, and be with it. But it's, it's one thing that it's, it's surprising how much it's been in the back of my head all the time, just making sure that I don't have anything when I retire in 30 years, that, it, <laughs> that I don't have anything that's irreversibly damaged um, because of the importance of the site. And, you know, just a, a little fun story. My boss was up last week, Ben, and um I was sleeping and it was four o'clock in the morning. And because of the pandemic, he decided to sleep in his car in the parking lot. Knew he was going to do it. It was going to be fine. I started, I heard a car alarm going off at 4 a.m. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I'm not supposed to hear this. So I got up at four and I walked out and it was, my boss had bumped something in his car. And I was like, and I just walked back, but in the top, in the back of my head, 
I had either there's somebody out there that smashed up the state car that's out there, or it's a bear jumping up and down on the state car. And that's what I was hoping I would see. <laughs> you were hoping for a bear. I don't know. Yeah, if I, I was, cause it would, it would have been a better story that way. <laughs> yeah. huh. You know, I always it's felt like um... it's the letting go of, of the job and, and, and always having it in the back of your head, even when you leave for a day and you're just like, what, what's going on? Got to get back. Got to get back. You know, it always felt like um, a comparison to being a lighthouse keeper is especially at split rock where it's so remote and rural as being a farmer and especially a dairy farmer. You're always, you got to be there every day. You got to take care of things. You're remote and you're, away from people, but still you've got that responsibility that you can't let it go. Um, and it's, it sticks with you. Uh, I still so, get up at six o'clock every morning, no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> so I have one final question for both of you for bonus points. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start with Hayes on this one. What's uh, so far for you, what's the best thing about life at the split rock light station? The, the fact that, that I'm, that you live in such a historic place and and you can feel that history like around you you can you can feel the the people that have come before you and that that it is a special place like you just there, there's a feeling about it that 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 stuff happened here and it mattered and, and that I'm continuing that that tradition and the staff is continuing that tradition I, I think that's that's the piece that I, I, I really, when it comes down into my heart, that that's what matters to me because I, I love history, obviously. And, to, you know, when you touch a piece of history, you're always like this, you get those goosebumps and you're like, this is the coolest thing I've ever held in my hand. And now I'm, I'm living around that. And you can just feel that. And the other day I, I learned about, you know, the, the trees by the storage barns that were planted by the, the, the original keepers. And like to, to look at that and be like, that was planted a hundred years ago by the first keeper that that's like the coolest tree I've ever seen in my life now. And to have that kind of stuff around it is really neat. And then, you know, you talked about bonus points. Well, it's, it's like the night sky, the nature around you, every, everything is just that, that does is that, that delicious gravy on top that, that, that puts a good, good feeling on everything. Lee, do you want to take that question? What was the best thing for you? Yeah, and I, I got to agree with Hayes that the connection to the history was so so right there. Um, you're walking the same sidewalks the keepers and their families walk, uh, climbing the same, same stairs into the lighthouse, using the exact same crank handle to wind the weights that the keepers use, and to sit on your front porch there and know that the keepers – and their family sat there uh, looking at the exact same view, different trees, little different uh, uh, fences and things like that around, but I, actually the same. Um, and the gravy on top is living on a cliff 130 feet above Lake Superior and having that, having both the lighthouse, but especially the lake right there all the time is pretty special. The way you both talk about it, uh, the love you have for it sure, sure shows and sounds awfully special. 
So Lee Radzak and Hayes Griffin, I, this has been a lot of, a lot of fun. And uh, I really, really appreciate you guys doing this. Yeah, this has been great. And I'm finally glad I got to talk to Lee for about an hour. Now, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to do it more often, Hayes. And thanks a lot, Jeremy. It was fun to talk to you and um, say hi to the gang at the Lighthouse Society. And um, oh, Absolutely. I, I yeah. still keep in touch with a, a few of them quite a bit. So. Yeah. Well, I'm involved both with the U.S. Lighthouse Society and the American Lighthouse Foundation, so I'll say hi. Great. I know you know people in both organizations, and I'll, I'll say hi. So I just want to wish you good luck, Hayes, uh, through the pandemic and beyond, and uh, maybe I can check back in with you in the future. Maybe we could do this again sometime. A- anytime you want to talk. I, I like talking, so. <laughs> Great. I never would have guessed. <laughs> Lee, uh, good luck with everything uh, for you in retirement. And I can't wait to see, see the book. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Great talking. Lee Radzak's stint of almost 37 years as the modern day resident keeper at Split Rock Light Station is really remarkable. The first keeper at Split Rock, Oren Young, also known as Pete Young, was in charge for the Civilian Lighthouse Service for 18 years. He retired at the age of 70. One of the later keepers, Tom Hassing, served 15 years as first assistant keeper. In a recent interview, his grandson GT remembered being taken up in the tower. He said, quote, We'd walk the long, long flight of stairs and up the echoey circular stairs to the light, and he'd tell us, okay, push the button now. I'd see the light go so far out there, I'd think, I can't see how far that is, out into infinity, unquote. When GT, the grandson of Keeper Hassing, got married in 1999, he and his wife visited Split Rock Lighthouse, and Lee Radzak turned the light on for them. My thanks to Hayes Scriven and Lee Radzak for today's interview. It was a real pleasure talking with them. Lee is a legend in the lighthouse world for good reason, and Hayes is on his way to becoming a legend. Thanks to all the members, volunteers, and staff of the United States Lighthouse Society and its chapters and affiliates. To learn more about all of the things the Society has to offer, check out uslhs.org, as well as the social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming a member of the U.S. Lighthouse Society or making a donation to support it. Our thanks to everyone around the world who works to save lighthouses or any kind of history. We're all on the same team, and what you do is greatly appreciated. Keep up the good work. As the American author Howard Mansfield wrote, and I quote, Good preservation is a life preserver thrown to us in a shipwreck. Good preservation keeps us in touch with the graces of this life. True preservation is like the hand that shelters a fire from the wind. It protects the spark of life. End quote. As always, thanks for listening and... Keep a good light. Let it shine all in Let it shine, let it shine